Well, hello and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and I am your host for today. I'm always your host. <laughs> uh, today I'm chatting with 2D special effects artist Tracy Strong. And she is originally from Newfoundland, Canada. And then she went on to graduate from Max the Mutt Animation School. And then she went on to work as a generalist at a small studio doing jobs ranging from rigging, character animation, design, and compositing. And she hopped around from studio to studio doing a range of jobs until landing as a special effects animator for Pipeline Studios in Hamilton. And on top of this, she's also become pretty much the master of Toon Boom Harmony animation software and runs this great YouTube channel called Stylus Rumble, where you can find over 130 tutorials. I'm pretty sure she's publishing every day and probably just published 10 <laughs> seconds before this episode. Um, and you can find everything from how to animate fire effects to making the shading of some great little dude look great, all in Toon Boom. So hello, Tracy, and welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great. So uh, your story is kind of interesting. And you told me before that growing up in Newfoundland, there was pretty much zero opportunities to do anything art related. How did you make the jump from like a small remote town of like, I don't know, a thousand people to work for such a big animation studio now? Well, the Newfoundland's kind of a weird place because the culture is very artistic. There's a lot of music and folk art and storytelling. There's a huge culture of storytelling there, especially in music and stuff, but it's very folky. And the idea that you could be an artist as a job is like saying you're going to work on the space station. Like it's bananas. They're all like, okay, yeah, calm down now. That's not a real thing. So once you get into school, it was, it's a lot of people have the same kind of story. They're like, stop drawing all the time. Like pay attention, do your work so you can make something of yourself. Like you should be doing this math, not this doodling stuff. That's not going to do anything for you. Um, so there's kind of that disconnect there. So like, I couldn't help but be inspired by all the, like the storytelling and stuff. Cause there's like a culture of, uh, like Irish storytelling where, you know, there's fairies in the woods and, like mythical creatures and stuff like that. So it's strange that like the, while the place is such a, because a, a, like you can't say it's not creative place, but it's very discouraged as an idea of, of professionalism. <laughs> so I, I know you're also uh, kind of taking away your Newfoundland accent right now. Can you give us a little Newfoundland accent? It kind of comes and goes now. Cause when I got here, nobody understood anything I was saying. So I had to learn to speak Mainlander. As we Is that it. what you call it there, Mainlander? <laughs> yeah, your guys are Mainlanders. Oh my gosh. Uh, but like, if I calls me mother on the phone, I'll be like, oh no, you know, it's mother. The, the boys up here, you don't even know what they're up to. Like, is is ball? They're all over the place. They need this done, that done. Rushing all over the, like, it's it's just like I don't know. I don't even know how to put it on. Like, if I was talking to my mom or I had a few beers in me, it would just slide back in there. Well, I'm happy to do the rest of this podcast in that accent, but uh, nobody I would need to may be understand you. <laughs> and then um, we could not stay on topic. <laughs> so you went to school and there, was, there wasn't even like art class or anything. I think you told me before that the teacher, the art teacher, like made a specific art class and would just play Art Attack as your, <laughs> as, as your learning experience. So how did, and, and you grew up having this great folklore culture. How did you get the confidence to say like, look, there are no resources around me. I don't know anything about the industry. I'm gonna take up all of my stuff and move to 
Toronto, the biggest city in Canada, <laughs> and just see what happens animation-wise, especially because you're getting so much discouragement from the people around you to go into this. Well, the thing is, I don't have any confidence. That's just, I fake it. I fake it. Um, yeah, that teacher in particular, uh, like everybody was kind of discouraging to the drawing thing. And be, I was kind of good at math. Like I was a math kid and I did really well in science and stuff like that. So everybody kept trying to push me towards that track, like the STEM fields, but like my heart wasn't really in it. And uh, this teacher, he'd see me drawing in class and he'd just kind of give me the thumbs up and go on about his lecturing and stuff. He just kind of left me alone, which was ideal for me. And then he, there was a few of us who really loved art and there was no art in that school at all. So he just took it upon himself to make an art class. And he was a health teacher, kind of like a generalist school teacher. And so he just, yeah, he'd do art attack videos or he'd find a how to draw book and he'd be like, okay, we're gonna do page four on this book. Cause it says, if you draw sneakers, that's good for learning stuff. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, he just, it was, it was the first time that somebody like a professional, a teacher, said to me like what you're doing has value like it's not a waste of time it's a valuable use of your time like there's like do it and like um so just i mean little things like that i think and like kept me like fuel to keep doing it and i've i've never like confidence is the wrong word because even to this day i feel like I've got a big like imposter syndrome happening like i'm convinced that any minute they're going to realize i'm just this like hillbilly from the country who doesn't belong here and uh, they gotta send me back to the island like you should be gutting fish or something this isn't where you belong so it was never confidence and even when I graduated from high school and uh, I was looking kind of towards post like going to college or something like that I was reaching out to like the stem stuff because that's always what I've been I steered towards and so I was looking at architectural engineering or something in that sort of field. Cause my dad's a tradesman, he's a sheet metal worker. So uh, I think he, and he was really like chuffed with that idea. He was like, oh yeah, my daughter now is gonna be my boss. That looks great. She's gonna, you know, be making the blueprints and stuff like this. So I think he was really excited about that. And uh, I, I was kind of just I, talking to a friend and they were like, you know what, you should just send one application out to the animation just to see. I mean, it's what you've always wanted to do. I'm like, yeah, but it's like, because ever since I was, say, like, say five years old, I was like, I want to be an animator. Like, I'd watch animation on TV, and I'm like, oh, this just seems so magical, and it's drawing, and it's magic, and how do I do this? But it never seemed real. It's like when you talk to any five-year-old, and they're like, I want to be an astronaut. Like, it just, it's imaginary. <laughs> like, um. So I took it, I took this guy's suggestion, like, okay, I'll send one application because I knew I didn't have any foundation in art. I was basically self-taught um, and even like self-taught, like the internet was just starting to become a real thing. So it's not like now where you have hundreds of videos and different people and specialized people like animation people like myself who are putting out videos that you can use. It was just a lot of guesswork. So I knew I didn't have a strong portfolio. Um, but I mean, you send one, that way you never wonder. Like you're never left with that, that like, oh, well, maybe I could have done it. So I sent the one application and I searched all the schools I could find and Max the Mutt seemed like the most small town, 
Like it felt very homely to me. Like it was like a mom and mom shop because there's two women who run it. So it's not a mom and pop shop, it's a mom and mom shop. Um, very small community and they really specialize in the fundamental drawing skills and the stuff I knew I didn't have. Because in like Sheridan, your crowd, you kind of have to have a little bit like that there's not as much uh, focus on that stuff. Like there's a lot more focus, like your student film, you have tons of time and energy to put into that. Whereas Max, you get like six weeks to make a student film. Like that's the very last thing on their list. They're like, we want you to have all the skills you need to go out and do whatever you need to do. But like, it, so it just felt right to me. So I was like, okay, I'll send one application to Max and that's it. And I also sent applications to like local architectural stuff and things like that. And they, and part of the application was a, an essay. So in the essay, I was like, listen, I'm from nowhere, Newfoundland. I've never had an art class before. We don't have an art store. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a hopeless person here. But if you accept me, I will work harder than anyone else there. I, I need to learn the stuff. You have the stuff to teach me. Let me give it a shot. And they called me and had like an interview and stuff. And they're like, we think you're stubborn enough to like pull this off. Like you're the, so exactly it, it the wasn't type of your, It wasn't your art skill. It was your nope. stubbornness. Nope. That got you there. I mean, you admittedly said like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I think that's- Yeah, well, I, I, I even said in my essay, I was like, listen, my portfolio is probably not on the top of your list. Like I know it's bad. You know it's bad, I know it's bad, but you're gonna teach, like I need to learn these things. You have these facilities, so let's work on something there. And they they thought that was great. They're like, you're exactly the type of person we're looking for. Is so, the person who wants so to. So how learn. is that experience at Max the Mutt um, coming out of that? What did did you get? Kind of the fundamentals that you wanted. To, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Max is super super big on the fundamentals, and they don't pull punches. Like if your perspective is bad, they're like, listen, your perspective is garbage. <laughs> you gotta fix this. Like, and you get a lot of rumors about Max being really hard like a tough, like brutal place. And to me, that was exactly what I wanted. Yeah. If you want someone to make you better, go to Max. If you want someone to hold your hand and be your friend, don't go to Max. <laughs> Keep They're not there to be your friend. They're there to get you where you need to be in the industry to work. Like you're going to be able to work once you leave there. So um, did coming out of Max, did you get picked up right away? Did you start working? I know you yeah, started, I started working in my third year at Max. I did the all full for the full four years in the 2D course and the, the fourth year was a 3d year and if you can i mean if even if you say to somebody i did four years at max that tells them something they're like okay you're gonna run this gauntlet you're not gonna give up because somebody made you feel bad you're gonna you're gonna keep going and it's funny because while max is probably the toughest like it's hard as nails it's also a small town it's a community and everybody's there for you to succeed. Like it's hard, but they're hard on you because they want you to succeed. And coming from a small town into a city, like I left Newfoundland with nothing but a duffel bag and a dream. Like all I had was a duffel bag full of clothes. I get off the, the airplane and I've never been in a city before. St. John, well, I've been to St. John's. So St. John's has about 250,000 people. That's the biggest city in New Flynn. Oh my gosh. And the biggest building is 12 stories high. 
<laughs> so when I came to Toronto, I was living on the 15th floor. So first of all, I was like, oh my goodness, I get to ride in the elevator. Look, they got an elevator in this place. This is right muckety muck fancy. My God. <laughs> and uh, when I got, and the only, I think the thing that saved me was that Max was such a small community. So while I was totally unprepared for Toronto, like everything scared me. There was uh, like just strangers everywhere, hundreds of thousands of people, just like busy streets, uh, just the hustle and bustle. Like the atmosphere here is very rushed and hurried and everybody walks with that Toronto stare where you don't look left or right. You just like zone in and it's very different than small town Newfoundland where everybody's my cousin and they all got to stop and tell you all their business and very, very different. So when I went to school, uh, like our, when we started in first year, there was only 40 of us. So, I mean, I can get to know 40 people. That's much less terrifying than the outside world of Toronto. So it was able to have that small community away from my small community. And all the teachers were, uh, like, the, like, like I said, they were all there to, to teach you what you needed to learn. And my favorite teachers were the ones that were just brutally honest. They're just like, listen, your perspective totally awful. You need to go learn how to draw less shitty. That's really what it is. That guy in particular. <laughs> if he listens to this podcast, will he know who you're talking about? Yeah. Oh, he knows he's like my hero. His name is Boyan Retzik. And he is a like phenomenal artist. Like he had one class of students who, uh, because a lot of these guys who teach, you don't hear about the layout guy. And Boyan's the layout guy. Like he does all the layouts for the shows. And nobody knows who he is. He doesn't have a big following or anything. So he had a class of students that uh, who was kind of not taking him seriously enough. So he just gets up in front of the class and he puts a piece of paper down and he drew the entire layout upside down in 20 minutes. And he said, OK, students, you have three hours to draw what I did in 20 minutes. I'll be over here. And he just sits down. And of course, no one could even come close because he's just he's such a skilled artist like he knows his craft so well and they took him a little bit more serious after that and he was really good at like uh he wasn't good at peopling uh, a lot of people had their their feelings crushed by this guy but to me having someone say your perspective is bad i'm like great that's an actionable thing i can go fix my perspective thanks and then i go and i the next assignment i do is you know i make sure my perspective was real good because he told me I was bad at it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it real hard. And then the next time he'd be like, perspective better. Now this is garbage. Fix this. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I was just this eager puppy who just took like anything they had to offer me. It was great. I love Max. I'm a huge advocate for, for Max as a, a place to go. That's great because, uh, I mean, I feel like they could use a lot more PR. So this is this is perfect. Oh, they're, they're fantastic. And there's no, like a lot of the universities now, they have... Uh, like you need a master's degree to teach. So like most of us don't have master's degrees. I mean, I came to Max, Max is a private school, so they don't even, I don't even have a regular degree. I have a, a collection of certificates and diplomas. Like they're like, it's a four year course, but it's actually like a ton of small courses to get around like the legalese of it so that they could just have any professional come and teach at the school. So everybody working there works they're all like the their rigging instructor is the lead rigger at brown bag studios 
Like they're not getting someone who kind of learned it somehow. They're actual people who work in the industry. So you're making a ton of connections while you're there. You're learning all the stuff you need to learn. And I got my first job in third year from that school. Um, and that's where I started working as like my first taste as a generalist out in the real world. Cause they just took a, all of us. They were like, okay, we need junior artists cause they're cheap. So we'll just hire like, how many you got? Eight, 10? Sure. We'll take 10 of them. And so 10 of us got brought to this place and it was a live action studio called Big Soul Productions. And it's uh, a Native American run studio. So they do a lot of stuff for the uh, Aboriginal People's Television Network. And they decided they were going to fund this guy's uh, animated series, which was hilarious. It was like uh, the Native version of The Simpsons that took place in like a Mohawk reservation. What's it called? It's called By the Rapids. And it's it's worth looking up, especially season four, because like technically not the best show on TV, but what a what a great time making this show. And because no one, all of us were juniors, there was like a couple guys, actually Boyan, the, the teacher I was talking about, he worked on it as the layout lead and the, the design lead. And um, all of us were juniors. So uh, we started off rigging and because I've kind of got a bit of a technical, like a knack for technical stuff, that's the old STEM side coming in, right? Um, I kind of became the lead rigger because I organized things and I rigged the most characters in my life because my student film had two characters. That means I'd done the most. <laughs> so we, those of us who were rigging, we just made it up as we went along. And there was, Harmony was just starting to push out Flash. Like it's still, because this is, this was 12 years ago, 11, 12 years ago, something like that. So it wasn't a huge uh, thing in the industry. And Max was the only school in the area that was like teaching. Like we were, I think we were the first ones around to get that class. So that's why they hired all of us out of the school because we were the only ones that had any experience using it at all. So I don't know whatever deal they had with Toon Boom that made it a good choice for them. But that's why we got in. And we used a lot of help menu and a lot of guess and check. And we like we just like talk to each other about like, OK, so the shoulder is kind of having problems. What do you think we should do there? And because we had to figure everything out from the ground up, it gave me a really broad foundation of the software because a lot of stuff I found just like, oh, this is the wrong avenue, but now I've got that in my back pocket in case I ever need it. Or, you know, I'll try a little bit of this. No, well, maybe if we put it upside down, who knows how that's going to work? Let, let's try some stuff. And the because the studio is really small, uh, whenever departments would run behind, I'd be able to, like, kind of put my nose in there and pick up the slack. So I used to do a lot of the character turnarounds, mouth charts, hand charts, stuff like that. Uh, on top of the rigging and I was doing some character animation on the weekends just because they were behind so I'd pick up some of that for a laugh and uh, then in the fourth season because I I worked for uh, the out of third year of college I worked there uh, that summer and then we were on hiatus for a bit and then they hired me back because I had so much rigging experience they didn't hire us all back but those of us who were riggers they were like okay well you can just work at night you're on the night shift. That's that's a thing. Um, and all this is in a, like this wood shop 
like it was in the, the basement of this building downtown that used to be a wood shop. So they'd taken out all the like table saws and stuff like that. There was still like sawdust all over the floor and just put in all these stock Dells. And they're like, this is what an animation studio looks like, right? And I'm like, well, I've never been in one. So sure, that seems fine. <laughs> so then in fourth year, they hired me at night to do rigging. So I, and Max is a full-time job. It's not, um, because some schools, like you got one class Monday, you got one class Wednesday, but max is 40 hours a week, minimum. Some Sometimes you're there till nine or 12 at night. And then I'd leave there uh, at the end of the day and I'd walk over to the studio and I'd work there till about midnight. And then I'd go in on the weekends to finish whatever I couldn't finish during the week. So a lot of hustle, but like it was just, it was a really fun job because you, it was a lot of problem solving. And problem solving is really my favorite thing about animation or anything. So uh, that was a good time. And then the fourth year, the fourth season, we had a lot of special effects because the uh, on the show, there's a TV show that the characters watch called the Mighty Five Nations Rangers, which is like Power Rangers, but the Iroquois Nations, and they have all these superpowers, and they got these mech warriors. Like the guy went bananas with these stories, and nobody nobody knew any better than to do these stories. There's one episode where all the, the grandma and the boyfriend get trapped in the sewers and they eat mushrooms to survive and they get totally blasted on mushrooms and they're seeing flying cars and mushroom people everywhere. So we need an effects animator. We're like, okay, we need a flying car. Uh, we, uh, where, where are we going to do that? I'm like, I could do a flying car. Props. I could do a prop. So I had to do this car with like angel wings and I had to do a mushroom person that like split apart like amoebas becoming two mushroom people, anything I wanted. Actually, at one point, the director came over to me and he's like, hey, we're 30 seconds short. Can you just fill it with stuff? Just whatever kind of weird like mushroom high stuff. I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> That's where the mushroom splitting apart came from is because they're just like, we don't, we got to fill time here. So random. Yeah, it was bananas. And anybody who got that job, because people coming out of school, they're like, oh, that guy got hired at Pixar, me. But that guy's doing one thing. He's a specialist assistant. So he's probably just helping that one guy do one thing. I got hired at this wood shop and I got to do every job. So when I left there and I was looking for a job, I got picked up right away by Nine Story because they needed a compositor and there's no, there was no harmony compositors around. And I was like, well, I know the technical side of the program and I've done special effects and they're like hired. That sounds great. So there I you just, go. That's how I got into my next job just because I had the technical experience that other people didn't have. What a crazy story. I'm already uh, picturing the whole feature length film of like small town Newfoundlander <laughs> with her bag traveling to the city. <laughs> well, that um, I just looked up by the rapids. And uh, it's, I guess it's part of Canadian history. It's the first uh, Indigenous animated television series here in Canada. So Is look it? at that. You worked on it. And you got to put your weird special effects amoeba mushroom people in it. Oh, it's still one of my favorite projects I've ever worked on. Just because it was so small. Yeah. And, the place I'm working now, Pipeline, is one of my favorite places to work. I, I used to work here with Pipeline years ago. And I did about the same thing. They hired me as a rigger on one show. And the fellow they had rigging before 
wasn't a big problem solver, I guess. So he hadn't created any templates or kind of set up anything in his pipeline to get things done quickly. So when I started there, they're like, okay, so here's a couple, there's hey, half a dozen episodes. So get started on those. And if you have any questions, let me know. So I did that work in about eight days. And apparently it was supposed to take me a couple months. And I was like, oh, well, it's done now. Because I went to them I'm like, okay, so that's done. They're like, oh, I'll move on to the next episode. I'm like, no, no, it's all done. All of them. They're like, what? I'm like, well, you just needed a template. You had a terrible system before. You used to make everything from scratch. That's crazy. Why would you do that? If you just make a template. And the, the show is called Sidekick. And so there wasn't a lot of rigging involved. Deformers didn't exist yet. So it was still a lot of drawing. So you just had to take the art, which was done brilliantly by the design team. They had everything broken up exactly the way it needed to be. So I just had to grab the art, paste it into my template, set up the pivot points. Next one, same thing. And so I was done. I was like, well, can I just do animation then? Tell us something's ready because design had nothing for me. So they're like, okay. And it wasn't a per frame studio. You never take animation from the per frame animators. It was a salary studio. So it was fine to just take stuff off other people's plate and do that. So I was doing character animation for a while. They liked my rigs better than the other rigs they had, so they had me re-rig one of their other shows. And then um, they had a new show coming up, so they wanted me to train their riggers in Columbia, their Columbia studio to do rigging. So they flew me to Columbia to, rig, to teach them how to rig down there. I'm like, yeah, that sounds, sure, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. I'll fly to like a tropical paradise to teach people how to rig. This is not real life. I'm so I have a lot of questions like, about... I'm going on the way to Columbia. I need to get me a passport because I got to go on this trip now. I'm going on the big airplane, man. And mom's like, yes, bye, Tracy. You're doing some good. Some priority back here, boy. <laughs> it all seems really surreal. <laughs> I was just going to ask you. I mean, I have a bunch of questions about what it means to actually be a special effects animator. But do you feel like you're living the dream now when you when you think back to tiny Tracy back in Newfoundland just watching cartoons? Yeah, I mean, the only thing that's not perfect about my life is that I can't live in Newfoundland and do this. The, I could, but my husband can't get a job there. I actually could abandon him and go live there because I work out of house, so that's a thing. So there I live there. Just, ab just abandon him? <laughs> but aside from that, well, I haven't yet. I'm like, mm, no, I won't do that yet. <laughs> but I live there. I do work out of there a lot, so I'll go there for six weeks at a time, or I'm going to go there for all of July and August and work out of there, so... I mean, yeah, I'm living the dream because my dream was just to animate. I didn't want to be the top guy at Pixar. I didn't want to be like, I'm not a, a director. And I think that's like when I was talking to you about being interviewed, I was like, that's one thing that I really don't have in common with anybody that you've interviewed before because they're all like, you know, I'd really like to pitch my own show or they're, they've got their own show. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. No, I'm fine doing other people's shows. That's perfectly fine with me. I just love the, the problem solving. Yeah. And that's why I ended up in special effects because I love to draw. So rigging, there's no drawing. So I was like, I don't want to be a rigger forever. Like, this is not fun. Like, once you figure out how to rig, it's systematic. Like, you do the same thing. You're a technician. I'm like, I'm bored now, though. <laughs> so they put me in special effects. And most of the time, special effects means things that they're not sure who else should do it. So I do, if a character 
has like say a lot of hair animation or cloth animation or something that's really bananas they'll just be like can we call this effects and i'm like yeah nothing fine um and i'll do like sometimes i'll even take apart the backgrounds if that is necessary to make the effects work like whatever i need for the scene that's what i do so it's it's a lot of uh, like it's a real generalist position. You need to have good drawing skills for the, the practical effects, like the fire and the smoke and stuff like that. But you also need a bit of a technical side when you need to composite those effects. Or like we have one show that has characters with sparkly dresses. So you need to design a particle system that goes on the dresses and can follow the movement and stuff like that and work within those realms. So it's got the perfect like balance of technical and art from like, yeah, from any I, job I, I could see kicking around. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, because traditionally when I think of special effects, it's like explosions or magic and stuff like that. But can you kind of go through the gamut of like the more mundane special effects to more exciting special effects? And like you mentioned, <laughs> sparkling dresses, which I might not have thought of as a special effects thing. So like, what is your average special effects? Maybe you can just throw a bunch out there that. Well, that's the best thing about special effects is there's it's never the same twice. When I was my first, like the compositing job I had at Nine Story was on a show called Wild Kratz, which is pretty, everybody's worked on Wild Kratz. It's got 752 episodes, like everyone's worked on it. I don't know what it is about it, but uh, I did the compositing on the show. So all the lighting, um, which sometimes is considered effects, sometimes it's compositing if it's in harmony. So I do all the lighting kits for that, which is a technical thing. And then when I was finished, I would help the, practical effects guy do his stuff so for that show i did almost exclusively water rings and dust poofs we need dust poofs every time they kick up some dirt or dust or sand or anything like that they fall on their arse or they you know like run through the savannah like all that needs dust dusty well actually one person called me dusty the whole time i was there because that's all he ever saw me do um, I so also are, you, did, are you just making a generic dust poof that they can add in every time somebody walks? Or are you specifically looking at the animation that's finished and being like, all right, this is how the dust poof is going to work this time? Yeah, usually it's a mix. Um, some shows use all stock because uh, like Chorus, a lot of their shows, they make all the effects beforehand and then they're thrown in. But I don't like to work that way. I prefer uh, the pipeline way of doing it is I work alongside the animation at the same time. Yeah. So. I have my bucket full of dust and on a, a long, I do just like, and I'll have 10 different dust templates say, and then if a scene, it doesn't work with the dust, I'll make a new one and then add that to my dust template. So you're just constantly collecting more and more dust that might fit and might not. Um, but reuse always looks like reuse to me. So I'd rather make it like work for the scene whenever I can, whenever time constraints are not an issue. And then, uh, the, and you never know what you're going to do. So on Wildcrats, I did a lot of dust because I wasn't the primary effects animator on that. But I also got some cool stuff when he couldn't keep up with the load. So I did some hippo mucus, some giraffe blood. Never know when you're going to need to do some giraffe blood. Uh, lots, of, lots of weird stuff on it. A lot of water, things like that, that you expect. And then I moved on to Ever After High, I think. No, then I was on rigging again rigging character animation then i went to ever after high so a lot of magic effects things that you think of when you think of effects cool magic stuff um that the different characters had and the fun thing about that was whenever you had a new character you had to design the magic to suit the personality of the character which is one of the funnest things you can do as an effects animator 
and but also lots of water and dust so much dust you don't even know smoke fire things like that and then um yeah things like particle effects started coming in around then so i did the pilot of shimmer and shine and like i wasn't really strong on particles then so i did a lot of it by hand it ended up getting tendonitis just from like pixie dust so particles came in around then and really saved the day on that show because it was all glitter <laughs> So do you do you have to constantly be on top of the, the latest tech in that sense? For it effects? really helps. I do know there are special effects animators who are very old school practical effects people. And a lot of them now work freelance. So studios will hire them specifically for coming up with the, say, the magic design for a show, things like that. But the if you're working in small studios like I prefer to do, then you often balance the, the compositing and the technical stuff all at the same time. And when you say, yes, I know how to composite my effects. Yes, I know how to do particle effects. Yes, I know how to do practical effects. They are much more willing to hire you. Because if you can only do one thing and I can do three things, why would they hire you? Right. So yeah, and, and branching out is real good, especially, and, and I mean, it's all par for the course for effects. This is definitely a position in smaller studios, because I mean, the bigger the studio, the more specialized you're gonna get. When I was at uh, Nine Story, once I was done my compositing and there was no effects left to do, they were just kind of like, well, just busy yourself till something comes up. And I was like, what? Just sit here and do nothing? I can't though, I have a problem. I need to be busy all the time. So I'm never coming back here. And I haven't. I have never gone back there. <laughs> Pipeline, totally opposite. I'm like, I'm done. And can I just help other people? Like, yes, we are understaffed. We want you to do every department. I'm like, this is the perfect place for me. The smaller the, the, smaller the studio, the more hectic it is, the more different shoes I have or hats I have to put on, uh, the happier I am as a person. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I like what you said about specializing, because a lot of the times we hear like, you know, specialize in story, like become really a master, like storyboarding or like rigging or something. But you're a good case of problem solving in general and just keeping on top of like figuring out how to make things go quicker and having these other skills that really come in handy, too. So um, I think it's really like the, there's both sides of the spectrum. And I think a lot of the people that you hear specializing is the way to go are the most visible online because you have people like Jake Parker, who's like a masterful illustrator, who's like, I have put all my eggs in this basket. I've made a huge thing out of it or Steven Silver or like all these guys who are specialized in something that's easily visibly interesting because my portfolio doesn't it, like, it's not a thing like, oh, look at this really cool particle physics rig I did. Mwah. Like no one, get, no one cares about that. My, even my art is really boring because it's all very, like I do a lot of studies of things. I'm not a, I'm not a marketable person. Um, and most of the people in my position are not marketable like Steven Silver is. It, we're just not that marketable. So if, as, if you were to switch studios or find another job, how would you market your skills? Would you show them episodes where you've done the, would you just show them dust? And then they'd be like, oh, she can do dust. Yeah, so sure. many. <laughs> well, now, because I've been at it for 10 years and I did a lot of studio hopping in my early days. And because I shove my feet, my feet in every door where there's like, they're 
kind of over, they have more work than they can handle. And I'm just like, Hey, can I help you guys out? I know all the production managers and I know all the leads on all the shows of the places that I've been working on. Cause even at nine star, I was so bored. I just went to my, like the lead, animation lead. I was, can I, can I do something for you? And he's like, well, you can help me render these shots. I was like, yeah, that seems fine. I'll just help you render at night. Cause I need to be busy. So now if I need a job, I just email my friends. I'm like, anybody got a job? <laughs> and that's the thing. The, the hard part as a generalist is getting your first job. Because you're like, hey, I have a variety of really not decorative skills. <laughs> like I have all this, like I can, I can make particle emitters. I can do a little bit of rigging, which is not something that you can really put in a portfolio. Like you can send them a rig, I guess. Um, and, but I mean, now I do at least have a body of effects work that I can show people. But now, because I talk to a lot of people and I work in all departments, I just, I know everyone who works everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit about that and kind of getting your start in special effects, but first, like, so you mentioned the pipeline of special effects and how you work with the animator, but when you're going to the director and you're like, and he's like, or she's like, we need some dust for instance, or some giraffe blood you know, there's not really like a style guide for giraffe blood as there is for like what a character looks like. So how are you pitching how big or small the project is going to be? Like, are you are you like pitching like blood everywhere? And like, <laughs> you know, or are you being like, okay, like here's the scope of what I think it's going to take. Like, how do you manage those expectations of what they think special effects are going to be when there isn't any defined uh, style guide or or like I guess path in that sense well now that I'm in like the effects designer position that's what I'm called um while they're like right now I'm working on a new show which has been announced so I can tell you what it is it's called oh, Eleanor us. Wonders Why and it's the most adorable children's show I've ever seen in my life and it's such an art driven like adorable show i'm just so excited to design the effects for it so you said uh, it was called eleanor wonders why yeah it's just been announced by pbs so it's right. going to be they're like super excited about it and it's adorable like you're gonna barf it's i can't up. even find it on the internet so it's so well, you, fresh. i just i posted on my twitter so you could probably find it later ah, okay. but um so what I did, I went into the studio because I usually work from home, but on launches, I like to sit down with the director in person because it's a little easier to talk things out and doodle and stuff like that. And uh, so we sat down and I was like, okay, so we've already got a pilot and a test that's been done because oftentimes that's how series get started. And I did work on the test, but I didn't work on the pilot. I'm not sure who did the pilot effects. Um, but I sat down with him and I was like, okay, so these are what they've done in the past this is what I think we should do. Do you have any ideas of your own? And oftentimes they don't, which is funny. Um, effects is kind of like a wasteland. Everybody forgets about effects. Like if they're not there, you need them to be there. But a lot of people don't think about it when they're initially, and even you, yourself, you're like, well, where do you design this? Like there's no style guide, but that's what my job is, is to create the style guide for this show. So once I get his ideas of what he wants to do, or if he has any at all, sometimes they don't. And I'll talk to the lead designers, the background designer, like whoever else is working on the show, look at what they're doing and get an idea. So for this super duper cute show, I was like, okay, how can I do cute dust? This has to be the cutest dust you've ever seen. So I'll do uh, three 
I did three little tests of different styles of dust and there's infinity styles of dust, just so you know. And I sent them, uh, I also did some splashes, some ideas for like water, like rivers, things like that. Things that you're gonna see in the show. Uh, and you can see based on the, the image, what kind of a cute style it is. Um, and then they'll take those three suggestions and they'll choose a favorite out of it. They'll say, oh, I feel like this one's going in the right direction or that one feels like a little bit more right to me. And then I can take those suggestions and build on that for other effects that come up. And once the show gets rolling, usually the directors are pretty hands off in effects. Like they kind of trust that once the style is established, like things are going to show up. Okay, water, you know, water is water, fire is fire. Um, so they leave me alone a lot, which is another perk of being in effects is you get to just be abandoned in the corner and work by your own, to your own devices. Uh, but if anything new comes up, uh, say they do an episode where the character has a magic wand and it works, then I would have to do some, I'd ask them if they had any ideas or if they wanted me to just go bananas and then take whatever suggestions they give me and build off that, give them some ideas of what I, what I think, like give them a few, like say three different suggestions of what they could do and then take it from there based on how they feel about it. And often if we come across a problem and I know I want to do, like I have ABC of a solution. If I know I want to do B, then I'll just sell that one the best. So I'll say, okay, so A, you know, it's not that great. It's got these problems in rendering, but we could work around it. C, really expensive. It's really detailed. It's going to be feature film, but it's going to take a lot of time. So I don't know if that works in your budget. But B, B is kind of the middle. It's got a little bit of the problems that A does, but it's not going to take as much time as C does. And it's going to be really reusable. And so they'll usually, if you sell it right, you can do the thing you want to do. <laughs> I just looked up this show and it it looks it, you're right it does look absolutely adorable. Also I love the, barf, it's got like, like a it's... nice watercolor background style and uh, yeah. Um, but I also like what you're saying about kind of pitching. It's like if you know the one that's going to excite you the most and sell it, but sell it in a way that makes sense to the director too, because they don't want to pay an exorbitant amount of money to have you, I guess, toil away on on. Well, sometimes effects, they like, do. If, well, they if do. it's okay. well, you gotta think about it. If it's something like, uh, say you're doing Sailor Moon and you're doing the magical girl transformation, money shot. Yeah. you're gonna put a lot of money into that because it's gonna be the same every time. You're gonna reuse it all the time. It doesn't have to get switched around or changed. So that's a place where you could pitch something that's gonna be real dollars. You're gonna be like, I'm gonna have to put in a lot of overtime on this. Like it's gonna be bananas, but you're gonna have it forever. It's gonna be like pristine, then they're willing to do that. But oftentimes in TV, you have to find the cheap and dirty solution. And that's that's kind of my specialty, the old duct tape and gum scenario <laughs> where you have to cobble something together that's real fast and and it's gonna be it's gonna be good. The last show I was working on was a adventure show. Um, there was lots of special effects, lots of fight scenes among 12 guys with magic powers, and there's explosions, entire cities falling apart. And I had two weeks to do an episode. So I was like, this is gonna be real cheap, you guys. <laughs> We're gonna do some real dirty, 
you don't want to move this frame. There's a load bearing frame. Like if you move the camera, you're gonna you're gonna see all that gum. It's not. I'm so are you seeing? The, obviously, there's a huge difference in special effects from feature films to TV. But I guess that's kind of the the magic of TV too. Is you have to do everything kind of really quickly. And do you almost find yourself learning? like a lot more, uh, I guess, ways to do things in TV because you have to do things so much more quickly? Definitely. The, yeah. the biggest sellability factor I have is that I can break down complex scenarios into simple solutions. So I just put up a video where I was like uh, doing a effects hack of a feature film quality water. So I was like, you could do this real nice, or you could use a whole lot of cutters and reuse and duct tape and glue. And it looks pretty good. It's not as good, but it looks okay. We could get away with this. <laughs> and that's the best thing about TV for me. Like, I don't want to work on, on a film. I've been invited to work on films in the past, and I'm just not, it's not my thing. Because... I'm not a specialist. I'm not someone who really wants to spend two years meticulously tailoring every single piece of something. I'm not someone who needs to work on, like to me, uh, this show that I, Eleanor's is just as exciting as the one I just did with six magical fight scene. Like, like both of them are just as exciting because they both have their own unique challenges. This show is going to be a real challenge stylistically coming up with something like dust that can compete with the cuteness of the character designs. Like I'm, I'm just like, listen, I'm gonna fight you now for cutability on the show. And both of them are just as exciting to me. I've done TV commercials. I've done like to me, the show doesn't matter. I'm just as long as I'm being challenged uh, in terms of like upping my skill and solving problems, and like I'm totally happy to do any kind of show. I would love to see like a 12 minute video of just all the different dusts you've created. <laughs> oh, well, I had to train a guy in at uh, on Ever After High. And I was like, okay, so one of the important things you gotta know is the difference between a twinkle and a sparkle and some glitter, okay? You can't just throw twinkles and sparkles around willy nilly and think they're the exact same thing. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Like being in effects is like to me, it's it's just so much fun to really think about the difference between sparkles and twinkles and how you can get that unique one for each show. Every single show that needs sparkles, I make new ones. I'll make some have, I mean, some shows you need five pointed sparkles, some you need four pointed, some you need three pointed sparkles, some you have circles. You don't even know. You can get really bogged down thinking about every detail and if I'm working on a cute show, I'll hide stuff in the dust. So I'll hide little turtles and hearts and stars and stuff like that. I never hide dicks. Don't do that. That is wrong. Are you, Are you saying that other people hide dicks? Yeah, there was a show. Oh, what was it? My oh, the no. had an episode hauled because one of the uh, painters, the, the texture artists, had hidden one inside a log. And they're like, no one will ever see this. It's inside this hollow log. And the character was running by the hollow log. And sure enough, it was like right there, huge in the screen. And the the like Netflix mom crowd went bananas. They're just like, what is this filth? Good <laughs> Lord. <laughs> I think that's so the hilarious. episode got oh hauled. And, I mean, they easily tracked that guy down. I don't know what ended up, where he ended up, but. <laughs> 
You don't hide um, those. So let's Keep let's get back hearts. to talking a little bit about the uh, like coming out of school thing that you were, you started to mention. So like for me right now and and my classmates, a, a kind of fear is like if I don't specialize like right now, where am I going to end up? But your your path is kind of like you know you you took kind of a generalist path and you took every opportunity that came to you no matter what. And I also know you you kind of like coming out of school you don't really know anything right but you there's like these big expectations like i'm gonna go work for pixar right away or like cartoon network or something like that so what is like what can i would say from your experience what should a student take out of school the experience and how can they get their start in something like special effects where you can't really create a very visual strong visual portfolio for that right well yeah, that's true. I think the, the important thing for students to remember is that all of you are bad. All of you. None of you are, you know. You're all awful. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the, the good thing is that everybody is. So you feel like, oh my God, I don't know anything. That's true, but neither does anyone else. So, so like, so you're in competing. Right now, you're, you're all on the same plane. Like, right, you're, but, not, you're not worse than others. But in school right now, like, uh, it's, it's very easy to compare yourself to other students too. Like I can tell kind of where I sit in terms of like skill level in perspective drawing, for instance, or like life drawing, for instance. So from my perspective, I'm like, oh my gosh, this person over here is an absolute master. I'm not good at all at this. Or like, I feel like I have a good knack for this versus other people, but I'm just awful. Yeah, but everybody's awful, so it's fine. And just because you're awful now, like I came out, I had no experience when I got to school. I were, I, I got to school, there were people who'd gone to art specialty art high schools where they'd had four years of art education. They'd done life drawing. I'd never heard of life drawing. I got into class one day and they're like, so we're going to give out your materials list. You're going to need some gouache and some Kante and some this and that. And I was like, I don't know what these words are. I'm going to need someone to help me. And like the the other students in the class who like the more uh, city friendly folk take me by the hand and they bring me to the art store. And I'd never been to an art store ever before in my life. I was 20 years old. The first time I set foot and I was like, oh, wow, this is a there's there's a whole store dedicated to just art stuff. Cause we used to drive to town, go to Walmart. Actually, like I got my start drawing on Xerox paper. My neighbor's dad stole from work. Like it doesn't matter where you start. It really, really doesn't. And I was definitely the amongst the worst when I started in school. And I, ha- I only had four years to catch up to people who had 10 years experience and I was not as good. And the thing I had going for me is that I had that technical side and I was able to get in started in rigging where uh, a lot of people didn't uh, like those, the people who were as good at the art stuff weren't as good as at the technical stuff. So I was able to sneak myself in that way. So there's ways to kind of sneak in, but um, a lot of the people you think are going to be the hotshot guys are just not. We had a guy who everybody was like, man, you're going to work at Blizzard and you're going to be the best one there. And then his girlfriend got knocked up. Now he works at a steel mill because he had to pay for baby milk. Like, so he's not even in the industry anymore. And then that weird girl who's dressed like a goth princess, she's now running a department over at the other place. And like, 
she's rocking and, and everybody, you know, like the weird kid ends up being the rock star and nobody, I don't think anybody was putting their money on me. And now uh, like I have absolutely no trouble finding work. Like the last time I needed a job it took me four hours to find one because I just, I built myself up as just a hardworking person. And I will take someone who's hardworking over someone who's talented any day of the week. I know so plenty of guys who are real talented and they come in and they do the most beautiful animation in the completely wrong style. And then the director's like, well, this is completely wrong. You have to do it again. They're like, oh no, but let me tell you about my vision though. And the director's like, listen, child, I earned a place to have a vision. You don't get to have vision yet. And they just don't do well because they, they've always been told they're really good. They've been pat on the head for their entire life. And now all of a sudden everybody's telling them, oh, this is wrong. And it doesn't matter how qualified you are. I just sent in version 21 of a test because the, the, the directors just haven't really felt it was right. Like it's kind of an abstract, one of those money shots that they're willing to put a lot of time in. And so I spent 13 versions going one direction in a really organic kind of a abstract way. And then they sent it to the client and the client's like, you know, I don't feel like organic's the right way at all. Can we just trash it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I did about 300 frames worth of cycles and all this stuff. Just throw in the trash and just start again. And people who have been told they're wonderful all their lives have no stamina to be told their, their stuff is wrong. And just being wrong, being the worst is so good for building that stamina up. I was always the worst. Uh, I had in my in-betweening class, uh, we, well, our first assignment, we had this amazing in-betweening teacher named Fabi Filetto. And she walks in, she's about five foot nothing. She's got this beautiful glossy brown hair down to her butt with little bangs and cute little glasses. And she's like, hi, my friends. Today, we're gonna learn all about in-betweening. And, and she tells us all about it. And she's like, and thinking about the line taper and everything is just, just the right way. And think about your arcs. And she was just so passionate about it. She's actually a Disney in-betweener. She worked on a lot of Disney feature films. So she knows in-betweening. And we all did our assignment to the best of our ability. And I think a lot of us, because she was so kind and cute, underestimated what a brutal dictator this woman was going to be. And she comes in the next week and she's like, hi, my friends, everybody failed. All of you, 100%, they're all terrible. But the great thing is we're gonna do it all again. Okay, so here's your new assignment and redo the old assignment. Cool. So I was like, oh, she's serious. I love her. This is what I want in a teacher. So we had, it was just like two Bugs Bunny drawings to do. And some of the guys who are, you were thinking are going to be the best ones, the talented guys, took about four hours to get it done. And it took me 22 hours to get it done because I just didn't have the strong chops to do it any faster than that. I just had to take a lot longer to do it. And uh, I passed that assignment and I didn't fail any other of her assignments. But when she came in the second week, uh, with those Bugs Bunny ones, she said, okay, some of you passed. And I think about four or five of us were the ones that passed because I was willing to put in the time it took for me to get it right. And a lot of people have this idea that speed comes by practicing speed. And that's not true at all. The fast guy is not fast because he's practicing 
speed. He's fast because he knows the fundamental things that it takes to create that thing. So he's not spending as much time doing the perspective by hand because he's managed to put that into his subconscious. So now you can see the perspective in your head a lot better. That stuff's becoming less of a physical thing. But if you're if you're the underdog in this place, it might it might take you longer and you might have to really put in the extra effort of thinking about exactly those things, like your perspective. You got to remember that. You got to remember proportion. You got to remember all this different stuff. But because you're putting in the hours and you're focusing on getting it right and not getting it done fast, you're going to build up the muscles that you need to get fast and to get good. I'm not any better like the rigging thing I wasn't better at rigging than the guy before me to do it faster I just had found a way to do it faster through experience I'm like oh I realize if I do this then I'm going to be faster doing that longer later so I mean you don't have to be the best when you start out and everybody coming out of school has weaknesses and maybe if you're the most talented guy you have to step back and ask yourself can you take direction can you have somebody tell you to re just throw something away that you've been putting all your passion into? Because that's an important part of this, of this lifestyle is knowing that they're not telling you that it's wrong to hurt your feelings. It's, and they have a broader picture of this, this, the show and what needs to be done. So if we have, if you have someone coming in who's been rigging for a year and they think they know everything and your supervisor says, okay, I need you to do X, Y, Z. That's how we do it. And you decide, oh, but I know that I like doing ABC because that's how I've always done it. I know better than the person. You're not seeing the problems that the person, the experienced person has seen. So like, yes, it's easier to animate if you do it that way. But on the back end, everything's going to break once you hit compositing. So like coming in with being open minded, realizing that you have a lot to learn um, you're going to do, you're going to do well just because you're going to pick up the stuff you need to pick up. And a lot of students, I mean, part of the, is just students have no experience in the pipeline. So right now you've got, say, say you have a class every day, you have five assignments due. Monday's got to have one assignment done. Tuesday's got one assignment done. But when you go into the studio, they're like, here's a thousand frames Bye. handle it. So you have to find a way to get those thousand frames done on time. Then the next episode rolls in. They're like, here's a thousand more frames and the revisions from the previous episode. You have to be able to organize your own time to get that stuff done and get the revisions done in the timely manner. So like, it's just getting used to that environment and then like learning to schedule your own time and stuff like that. And with effects, I have to look ahead at all the future shows to make sure that the new designs are getting vetted by the director. And uh, I also have to do all the current shows that, like the whatever current shows in production and all the revisions for the previous episodes that have been in revision. So I might be working on six episodes at a time and no one's ready to just know how to do all that, to keep all that organized and to juggle all these balls when they come out of school. That's something you learn when you get here. And we are ready to teach people how to do stuff when they get here. That's another thing, like you're not expected to walk in out of school and be just ready to do what the, the that's why there's junior animators. They know that you're gonna need assistance and that you're gonna have to learn stuff. So don't feel like you need to know everything when you get there. Cause we know you don't, that's not a surprise. <laughs> Yeah. 
So um, for special effects animators, I know that some people specifically want to get into that because it's one of the few jobs left that still have a lot of 2D drawn animation because if you're working on characters, that's a lot of rigs and stuff. So I guess, I mean, you've, you've given a, us a lot of the skills, technical and personality traits you need to thrive in this role, but um, for somebody looking to specifically become a special effects artist, what are, I guess, the main things to keep in mind? It sounds like uh, leave your ego at the door, first of all. Well, that's every, uh, if you're, every if position. You're, if you're, any position, yes. Uh, problem solving, stuff like that. So for somebody looking specifically to get into special effects, what would you tell them to focus on? Well, for junior effects animators, what I, what I, I get a lot of people who email me, and I'm totally accessible if you want to email your, me your effects and ask me about stuff. Um, I'm totally happy to take a look at, at stuff. And what I usually see is explosions and big magic stuff and really cool stuff, but the basics aren't there. So it's like any, anything you want to learn, you have to start with the basics. So if I see a junior animator portfolio and it's a little simple splash, a little fire cycle, a dust poof or two, some sparkles and twinkles, things like that. That's really gonna show me if you're understanding the foundations of like the principles of animation. Because those principles the, that the characters follow also is a part of, of effects animation. So if you don't have those underlying principles, then your explosion's not gonna work. So don't spend six months on an explosion when you could have done 50 different flag waves and learned a whole lot more in that process, right? So no matter what position it is you want to get into, start with the basics and actually start with the basics of that. Like you don't start your perspective studies by drawing a city. That's crazy. So why are you starting your effects animation with an explosion? That's also crazy. If I'm going to run a marathon, I probably should start jogging a little bit at a time every day. So figure out what the most important fundamentals are. And in, in special effects in particular, you're gonna look at things, organic perspective, because you're often drawing um, water and slime, things like that, um, cloth, like yeah, dust, so much dust. So organic perspective is really gonna serve you well. Uh, there's a really good YouTube channel called Phil's Design Corner. And he does a ton of stuff on organic perspectives, so drawing landscapes and things like that. And that type of drawing is really gonna suit you well if you're getting into special effects. So if you're going out with your sketchbook, not just drawing humans, but drawing trees and water and rocks and things of that nature are kind of gonna give you the good foundational skills you need. And uh, learning, like if you're gonna be in using Harmony, it's gonna be worth your time to play around with some of the compositing nodes and things like that. So you know how to make your fire look like a lit fire and stuff like that. Um, there is a little bit of everything, but honestly, there's not a huge competition in special effects. You'd think there would be, but there's not. And a lot of people think they like classical animation until they have to do that 180 frame cloud cycle. And then they're like, oh, I actually have ADHD and now I don't want to do any of this. Like, this is just so tedious. What do you mean I have to in between 96 drawings? Ugh. But I love tedious stuff. So if you like tedious stuff, that might be, you might belong with us. <laughs>
I like it. I have one more question for you. Um, so you work from home, which is yes, kind of interesting because most animators work in a studio. So is this normal for a special effects role to work from home or like how did this happen for you specifically? Um, other than, you know, abandoning your husband uh, <laughs> back to Newfoundland, how did you, is this, is, is this a thing for special effects animators? No, it's not special effects in particular. And they actually, uh, they would like me to come into the studio. It's just, I live kind of far away. So commuting is a bit of a pain and I have a small child. My, my son's only four. So if I'm at the studio 24 hours a day, then I'm a negligent parent. So it's trying to balance the, the whole work life thing. Um, but I initially started working from home because I had some health problems. And so it was just easier for me to like stay home three days a week. And then um, when I moved to Pipeline, I started doing a similar thing because it was a long commute. So I was like, how would I come in two days a week or three days a week? Uh, and then the rest of the time I would stay at home. And they started, I think they just realized that I wasn't really talking to anybody anyway, because I'm the only person in the department. Pipeline has a real, Pipeline tends to do kind of lower budget shows. So our department is one special effects animator per show, as opposed to something like Final Space, which has six special effects animators that has a much bigger effects budget. Or on Ever After, there was two of us for short. So there was, there was, there was, I was talking to a human at that point. Um, and then uh, intern season came along. So they brought in like eight interns into the studio and they were like, Tracy, can we just give your desk to an intern? Is that okay? I was like, I guess so. And I just didn't go back to work after that. The only time I go in now is for show launches. Um, so if a new show is coming up, just because I like to sit down with the director, I find it a little bit easier to do that rather than over Skype. But I'll, a lot of the times we'll do like Google Hangouts or Skype just to do stuff. And because it's just me in the department, then it's, it's pretty easy to keep things <laughs> under control. Um, so since you work from home, what does the average day look like for you? Is it, I mean, a lot of animation jobs are not nine to five. So how often are you working, I guess? Like we well, up to? No, it depends on the show and it depends on the episode. So I'll, I try and stick to say eight to five is my standard day. Um, but if, I mean, if the deadline, if it's just a huge show, I'll usually work eight to five and then when my son goes to bed, I'll go back to work then. Like his time is between five and bed. That belongs to him. So I'm not willing to compromise on that too much. I have sometimes. The, the finale of the last show I worked on, I just worked about 70 hours a day or 70 <laughs> hours a week. 70 hours a day is not possible. <laughs> um, but for the most part, I try to stick to the eight to the eight to five schedule. Gotcha. And um, uh, like, because effects is kind of an independent department. It's up to me to make the shot lists of which effects that I think are going to be in the show. And so I sign them to myself and then I do the work myself. And then I give myself revisions and uh, approve it myself. <laughs> but the, uh, the animation leads are always there to give me uh, a second pair of eyes. So they'll, if they see something or the director sees something, then I'll get revisions from them. But a lot of times it's just me by myself. Cool. Great. So what is, uh, I guess I have one more question. What's next for you? I, I'm, I guess this new show, which is Eleanor. Um, yeah, but uh, is I'm that super next? excited for it. Honestly, I'm happy to just be doing this forever. I love being in special effects. It has, 
Um, like I, I don't have that drive to create my own stuff. I'm not a creative person. And my husband is a mechanic, an aircraft mechanic. And he's like, you keep saying you're not creative. <laughs> all you do is paint and draw and do all this stuff. Like my hobbies are art. I draw on the side. I paint, I do watercolor paintings on the side. So he's like, you're creative. I'm like, but I'm not though. Cause I work with creative people. I work with the people who design these beautiful shows that I work on the people who come up with the story ideas for these beautiful shows. And I don't do any of that stuff. I don't create things. I do studies of things I see. I paint the water because I can see the water. I paint an onion. I painted some cake recently. So I do a lot of, uh, representational art because I'm just not a creative person. I can do a really good painting of cake but I can't design a cake <laughs> that's what I say to people I'm like okay if you ask me to draw a car I can draw a car from any angle it'll be super accurate it'll be a really trustworthy mid-sized sedan with some practical features nice big trunk but the guy next to me who's actually creative he's the one who's going to do this crazy dune buggy with like skulls on the front like Mad Max like that's just not, I'm not a creative person. You don't need to be. You can be completely successful and also be a very boring person creatively. I'm proof. So I'm happy to just make other people's dreams come true. Great. And that's why I'll never have 100,000 followers on social media. Because <laughs> no one needs more paintings of an onion. Well, maybe you'll get a couple followers after this episode. You never know. Yeah. Um, do you have anything final to share? Any final thoughts or whatnot? Um, yeah, I just think don't, don't take, try not to take yourself too seriously. Like, uh, if you're coming into the industry, like, like it's okay to not know everything that you're doing. It's okay to ask for help. That's one thing juniors are really, really scared to do. They're like, oh my God, I don't know how to fix this rig. Everything's broken. If I ask, they're going to know. I don't know. <sighs> and we know you don't know just ask please ask for help when you need help and if anybody wants to reach out to me like i'm like i said i'm totally accessible on social media if you want to send me special effects like by all means do so especially if you say hey do you want to review this on your channel then i'd be like yeah i want to do that i don't know i don't have ideas so that will save me the trouble of thinking of one <laughs> i especially like that first part because i have to tell myself to chill out all the time oh i'm super <laughs> bad at it like practice like do what i say not what i do because yeah. i have no chill but i do recommend it <laughs> same and same. walk oh do walk we sit so much <laughs> thank you so much tracy for coming on the podcast it's been an absolute pleasure i can't wait to see somebody else create your feature length film of your story of your life because it's <laughs> such an interesting one um but it was just great to hear about what it's actually like being a special effects artist and also kind of like what it takes and the ins and outs of everything you've worked on i didn't know that you needed to create like a thousand different dust loops over <laughs> your career to be a special effects artist so that was that was interesting so thank you so much oh thanks for having me Great. And uh, if you're listening and you'd like to get in touch with Tracy or send her some of your special effects, um, you can follow her on YouTube or Twitter or Instagram. And she goes under the name of Stylus Rumble under all three of those. And I will include those in the links of this or the description of this podcast. And that's all for now. OK, bye.